This episode of the Lynx Golf Podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Tourism Ireland. Discover what fills your heart with Ireland and experience golf like never before. World-class courses, historic links, breathtaking scenery, and unmatched hospitality await. Visit ireland.com backslash golf and start planning your trip today. We are extremely excited to be joined today uh, by a, a man who is known by two names and, and most of the time by one name, Monty. It's Colin Montgomery joining us on the Lynx Golf Podcast today. Uh, Colin, thank you so much for your time. I understand that you are uh, on the way to the first major championship of the year on the, the PGA Tour champions. Uh, but first, you were just in Atlanta uh, releasing the new uh, open special edition of Lock Lomond Whiskies. Now, I, for our listeners who might not know your affiliation with Lock Loman, could you tell us a little bit about uh, how long you you've been working with them and and what is so good about this new edition that's come out? Yes, well, thank you, and thank you for having me on your show uh, today. Yes, uh, Lock Loman uh, is very dear to me, being just uh, what about thirty minutes north of Glasgow is the bottom of Lock Loman, where that uh, pure water comes from, Alexandria on the bottom of the lake there. And I've been with Loch Lomond Whiskies now for five years, of which uh, they have been since then. What's known as the tagline, the spirit of the open, which means that uh, Loch Lomond Whiskies are the official whiskey of the open championship. And uh, it's been a great success. Uh, I'm an ambassador for them, and uh, I do all sorts of outings around America and worldwide for them. And, and uh, I got together with Michael Henry, their chief distiller, and... Uh, Every year, we, uh, we make a special edition whiskey uh, together. I must admit, it's more him than it is me, uh, because he knows what he's talking about. He is the nose of uh, the whiskey. And uh, we get together and uh, we produce a bottle for the Open Championship. This particular year, of course, it's at uh, Royal Liverpool, Hoylake. Uh, and uh, we usually go... Uh, for a red box in England and a blue box for Scotland. And of course, when it goes to Royal Port Rush, uh, we have a green box. And uh, so this particular year's red and uh, it's fantastic. And uh, it's a good tasting whiskey as well. It's uh, recently won uh, the double gold award in the San Francisco uh, uh, awards there. So it is a very, very good whiskey. And it also is that uh, tagline, the spirit of the open. So, uh, it's good for me. It's good for Loch Lomond whiskies, and uh, and let's hope that affiliation continues for many years to come. Great. I was looking at the description uh, again. The open special edition Royal Liverpool, mm-hmm. aged in American oak casks and finished in Rioja red wine, yes. a single malt. It is indeed character. It, it is and, indeed. Yes. Sorry for interrupting you there, but yes, we, uh, we <laughs> use American oak casks, and uh, it has a bit of. Uh, a Rioja uh, wine in it as well, so it so it does taste as a fruity taste. It is fantastic. Yeah, red I'll berries. Have to send you a couple of bottles fruit. over, lads. <laughs> I assume that you get to to taste. How involved are you in that in that process of selecting? <coughs> yes, I taste. I taste quite a bit. I have to get a driver when I go up to Loch Lomond <laughs> because I'm not allowed to drive after I finish because I've had too much of it, you know. Uh, but uh, yes, I taste quite a bit of it actually, and. Uh, as a whiskey uh, uh, drinker myself, you know, as, as whiskey and golf go well together, you know, a lot of whiskey is drunk 
hate to say before, during and after a round of golf, you know, with friends and family. And uh, it goes well together. I think uh, we're very passionate about our whiskey as we are about our golf. You know, we're very, we're very fortunate that we call ourselves the home of golf and also the home of home of whiskey. So uh, we've got two great exports together. Yeah. That's a marvelous combination, uh, Colin. And um, for a lot of our readers uh, kind of know or are aware of Loch Loman Golf Club, um, yes. which is a, a marvelous golf course. Tom Weisskopf mm-hmm. and Jay Morish uh, designed it more than 20 years ago. But um, cool. it's an inland golf course, yet absolutely spectacular beauty in that part of the country. You know, Americans want to go play the, of course, the open road courses, the classic links courses, but there's there's some terrific inland golf courses as well, including Loch Lomond. Mm-hmm. Tell, us, tell us a little bit about that area and the beauty uh, of yes. Bent Lomond and Loch Lomond. Exactly. Uh, you, you're very right, you know. Uh, uh, unfortunately, we lost Tom Weisskopf just last year there, and, uh, and a great shame. But what he did leave us was possibly the best inland course, not just not just uh, in Scotland, but possibly in the whole of Great Britain. Uh, it was incredible design. And uh, on the banks of Loch Lomond, uh, <clears throat> as you so rightly say, just about, just about 30 miles north of where the Loch Lomond distillery is. Uh, <clears throat> and about, what, four or five holes are quite dramatic on the banks of Loch Lomond there, uh, overlooked by, as you say, Ben, ben Lomond and Gl- Glencoe and all the fantastic mountains surrounding it and it is a very very good golf course I mean it's always ranked in the top 10 in Britain and should well be uh, we we tend to rank our open courses our links courses higher than they possibly should be because I think Loch Lomond uh, as a golf course is right up there with the best of the best and and uh, it's a great area and and it's one of those courses that your American visitors that come over to Scotland, you know, you tend to go on the West Coast and, and uh, you play Trunan Turnbury on the West Coast and then and Prestwick. And then you go to the East Coast and you go to St. Andrews, Kings Barnes, Carnoustie, Muirfield. And you tend to miss out the middle. And uh, the middle is fantastic. Loch Lomond there and also Clan Eagles as well. Uh, two, two fabulous resorts in many ways. And, and uh, it's a shame that uh, the Americans tend to miss out on those, but they are fantastic resorts and great golf clubs. I was going to ask you at some point what your favorite course in the world is, uh, but as long as we're talking about uh, a little bit about the Open Championship and Special Editions, what, what is your favorite <laughs> Open Championship course and, and why? Okay, the best, the best Open Championship course was Turnbury uh, before they changed it, and... Uh, Donald Trump came in with uh, with Bill Hansas, I believe, and and uh, and <clears throat> built a brand new Turnbury, and he changed uh, some of the par. You know, the ninth was a par four. To change it to a par three uh, was fantastic. To change ten from a par four to a par five. I mean, to muck around with 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 those with those iconic courses was was a risk, but it's paid off. Dramatically, I think Turnbury is the best of the lot uh, in Scotland. The best in England, in my view, is Royal Birkdale. Uh, I think that's that's superb as well. I mean, they're all 
they all have their own intricacies, to be honest. They all have their own bits and bobs. I mean, St. Andrews, of course, is more is more romantic than anything else uh, now. But uh, an absolute superb test of golf, the more you play St. Andrews. Uh, Muirfield is a classic Carnusti. We call it Carnasty because it's so difficult. I mean, they've all got something. Uh, but I do, you know, if you're going to ask me my favorite golf course in the world, I'll have to say it's an inland course, and that's Pine Valley. Uh, I know it's difficult to get on to. Uh, we managed to uh, play the 1985 Walker Cup there, Great Britain, Ireland against America. And it was my first foray, really, in America, really, in 1985. And, uh, and uh, I ended up playing Scott Verplank and Jay Siegel in the singles. I lost them both, incidentally. Uh, but at the <laughs> same time, I haven't I haven't played anything that's 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 as good or comes close to to uh, to the Pine Valley. It really is, and it's been ranked what number one in the world now for the last what twenty twenty five years possibly. And uh, it's just a shame that the general public haven't haven't got more access to it because it's because everybody should play Pine Valley. Uh, it's it's the number one on everyone's bucket list, really. Augusta and Pine Valley spring to mind, uh, and Pebble Beach, I suppose, on your west coast. But uh, Pine Valley is the best. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely incredible. Yeah, and we have a course designed by the same guy, Crump, really, uh, <coughs> uh, at Sunningdale as well, where we happen to live uh, full time in Sunningdale, and and uh, the Sunningdale Old Course is 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 uh number two to me in that in that way the the heather and the and the uh the heathland feel about it is uh just dramatic yeah yeah i think uh, we may be talking about harry colt uh who sorry finished... yes Col yep, colt and yep. crump that's right yes yeah 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 because yeah, uh he crump uh wound up unfortunately uh leaving us before the course was actually finished and harry colt uh, was part of part of the console team, and then of course did his magic at Sunningdale, uh, revising he some did. of Willie Park's work, and then doing the new course there. Um, but the old yeah. course at Sunningdale, um, I've got it in the next issue, uh, is my favorite Have walk you? in the park. Yeah, it's it's my favorite walk in the park in the world. Um, well, it's amazing you talk about that walk, you know, at Sunningdale, and uh, during lockdown, uh, during the COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, we were allowed out for an hour a day. So my wife and I used to walk around Sunningdale and uh, take in its beauty, you know? I just, I just wanted to borrow a couple, of, a couple of Labrador dogs and just let them roam around. It would have been fantastic, you know? Uh, uh, but, uh, but superb, as you say, one of the great walks, one of the great walks in golf. And, and uh, that's not said enough, really, you know? One of the great walks, and uh, it is. Uh, you tend to use carts here, uh, in my view, a little bit too much, possibly. Uh, uh, and you don't enjoy taking in the surroundings and taking in those particular walks, you know. And Sunningdale Old is one of those. Yeah. For sure. Now, Colin, when we talk about great golf courses, we refer, as you just did, to the Open Championship Rota. That's pretty well set. It's pretty well set, but occasionally a new entry uh, breaks through, such as Royal Portrush. What yes? What links course, either modern or ancient, do you feel deserves a shot at getting an open? 
That's a, that's a very good question, isn't it? You know, my goodness. Uh, <clears throat> wow. Well, I'd have to go back to Scotland and think of possibly Royal Aberdeen, you know. Uh, the RNA have had the Walker Cup there many times, and obviously they like the course. It's just its length would have to increase. That's the problem now we talk about all the time is, you know, these these great seaside courses were built, what, 6,800, 6,900 yards long. But of course, that nowadays is 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 uh, is five to six hundred yards short. So you would have to do something with some of the tees and then some of the bunkering. But at the same time, it's a great course, and I think it 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 uh, over the years possibly deserved an Open Championship, Royal Aberdeen. So that would be that'd be one of them. Uh, in England, you know, to think about Royal St. Ports down at the bottom, Princess, possibly something like that. You know that. Uh, could come back, could come back uh, uh, to that degree. But again, you know, you're looking at length off the tee, and and uh, it's a shame that these iconic courses can't be played nowadays in 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 major championships because of the because of the so-called shortness of them. But they're not short; they were just short for nowadays. You know, I mean, we didn't realise what was going to happen with technology, the way that it's gone with the clubs and. Uh, and, and shaft technology and the ball uh, going so far. So it's a shame that these iconic courses are, are uh, not, not used as much as they should be. I want to go back to what you said about at the Walker Cup, you said you lost in singles, which is not something you mm-hmm. were accustomed to doing at all at the Ryder Cup. Maybe you got all of the bad results out of the way quick, but... What what made you so successful at the Ryder Cup as we're going into another Ryder Cup year this year? Yeah, you know, I played I played eight Ryder Cups, and that's that's what takes sixteen years to do it uh, uh, biannual competition. So it was just uh, I tell you, number one, I enjoyed it. Okay, number one, I enjoyed the competition, and I think if you enjoy something, you're usually quite good at it. And I'm sure you pair I'm speaking to today enjoy what you do, and and uh, and uh, the questions, you know, are, are fabulous. You know, the homework's been done. You enjoy your job and therefore you're good at it. And I can speak to anybody that goes to work and, and looks forward to it. It's going to do a better job than someone who's going to wake up and go, oh, God, I've got to go to work again today, you know? So that was number one. I enjoyed it. Number two, I hated to lose, okay? Not just for me, but for my team. I was only at the Ryder Cup to get 14 and a half points. <clears throat> for the listeners, you know, the Ryder Cup's 28 points. 14 and a half is the magic magic number. And I was only there to to try and help my teammates. Uh, uh, so I didn't really want to lose for them, to be honest. I wanted to help the likes of Baldo or, or Langer or Woosnam or Lyle or Seve in the days. And then the later days of my career, at, you know, uh, Harrington, Clark, Westwood, Donald, Stence and these type of guys... And I was just trying to make as many points as possible. So I didn't want to lose for their sake more than it was winning for mine. It was not losing for their sake because they were trying trying 100% too. So we're all in the same boat. So that was the reason, you know, really one of the reasons that, that, that uh, I did okay in the singles in the Ryder Cup. <clears throat> and also I avoided, <coughs> luckily I suppose, I avoided Tiger Woods. You know, the last, <laughs> the last five, five or six, Five, five Ryder Cups I played, Tiger Woods was involved, 
And every time the draw comes out on a Saturday night for the singles, you know, you're looking for the names, aren't you? You know, and who you're playing in the singles. Because uh, it's a sealed envelope, so you don't know who you're actually playing. You know, our 12 are written down and the Americans' 12 are written down and the two envelopes are opened and that's who you're playing, 1v1 and 2v2. Uh, so I managed to avoid Tiger Woods, which was, which was fortunate because I don't think I'd had an unbeaten record if I had to play him. <laughs> Well, that is something uh, remarkable. Uh, we, we can do the humble brag for you, Colin. Um, I mean, 20 wins in the Ryder Cup, just nine losses, seven matches were halved. The winning captain in 2010, um, an, an inc absolutely incredible Ryder Cup, never lost a singles match. Um, so, you know, it's also interesting because uh, the years pass. Yesterday, It'll be tw was 12 years since Seve Ballesteros passed from our midst, and he has become mm -hmm. even even more legendary in those years. Help us kind of separate the facts from the myths with Seve. What was he really mm -hmm. like? What was he like as a playing competitor, as a teammate, and as a captain for those Ryder Cups? Oh, very good. Well, yes, as you say, you know, 12 years. It's amazing how quick that's gone since. 2011 isn't it you know where we lost Seve and and <clears throat> I think there's one word that springs to mind when you talk about Seve and it's passion and uh he was the most passionate guy off the course and on it than I've that I've ever been associated with and ever met uh everything was how could how could I get around how could I get the ball in the hole in a in a so-called not in a golfing sense in many ways but in a passionate sense uh I mean, his driving skills were nil. I mean, he hit the ball all over the place. A bit like your sort of Phil Mickelson of, of old, you know. <clears throat> but, my goodness, what a short game. And, and what an ability to find a way to get the ball in the hole. And I think it was, it was through passion more than anything that, that, that he did that. And his friend, Jose Mira Lazabal, is very, very similar. You know, driving skills, he would admit, were nil. And yet, you know, they've... They've what uh, uh, four masters between them, you know, amazing, really, and and uh, and it comes down to that will of getting the ball in the hole, and and it's almost a challenge from where they hit the ball to to where Sevi found himself. Right, okay, okay, great, I've got a challenge now. It's almost good that he's out of position. Right, I've got a great challenge now. I can almost show off, you know, I can show off my my short game skills and get the ball in the hole, you know, fantastic. As a captain, you know, it was just an honor. It was just an honor to play for him, really. You know, the, uh, the Ryder Cup was taken to Valderrama in Spain because of Seve in 1997. Uh, King Carlos was there. Uh, it was all set up for Seve. And uh, we just felt we couldn't lose. We couldn't lose for him. And uh, Tom Kite brought a very strong American team over that performed well. We were just, I don't know what happened that, that particular week. We hardly missed a putt. We played fantastic and, and uh, we just happened to scrape home, uh, you know, for the win for Seve. Uh, we just couldn't allow Seve to lose what Seve Ryder Cup lose. It just didn't fit in the same sentence, you know. So <laughs> that was uh, why we won. It was, it was because of him, really, you know, that, that the whole thing was set up and... Uh, Fantastic uh, emotional scenes at the end of that Ryder Cup. Yeah, yeah, because he was 
he was finished as a player, really. And and uh, although he was only 41, he was our youngest captain ever at 41 years old. Uh, and yet he still wanted to play and he's wanted to tell us all certain shots. I remember at the 17th hole for one, I was had a horrible distance. I had 57 yards over this lake at 17. Uh, I was uh, playing with Clark, Darren Clark, against Couples and Love. It was a very tough game. And we were all square and uh, playing the 17th. And I was I was on my own in four ball and, and uh, had to get up and down here from 57 yards across the lake. And said he comes up to me in his buggy, <coughs> in his cart, excuse me, and uh, tells me how to play the shot, you know. And he said, it's all, it's all arms, Monty. It's all arms. It's all arms, you know. And, uh, and I go, oh, God, hang on a minute. I don't know. Look, I wanted to give the club to him because he did a much better job than I would have done, you know. I wanted to give the club to him. And eventually I had to say, look, Seve, I'm sorry. I've got to play this. I know, I, know it, I know I'm not you and I never will be you, but I've got to play this shot. So anyway, long story short, I hit it to eight foot and hold it. So And uh, we won one up, which was which at the end was vital. But he was... He was. He, he, he just wanted to play everyone's shot for everybody. You know, he was. That's how. That's the sort of a man he was. Yeah. What a great story! That that was really fun. <laughs> uh, taking us back to Valderrama in the 1997 Ryder Cup. So, <clears throat> Colin, you mentioned another marvelously creative, gifted Spaniard who kind of hit the ball all over the place, which is Ali Jose Maria Olazabal. Yeah. One of the most remarkable finals in the amateur, British amateur history, took place at Formby in 1984. You got to the final and you lost to Ollie. I mean, those two names in the final of the amateur. What do you remember about that match? And did you ever imagine at the time that you both would be Hall of Fame golfers? Yeah, there you go. I know it's amazing, isn't it? I think it's the the only uh, amateur final ever that uh, the two finalists have become Hall of Fame players. Uh, it's amazing, really, of all the hundred years that, that, that it's been going on. And uh, <clears throat> amazing, it happened to meet. I was 20, he was 18. And uh, he wore this sort of pork pie hat. And, uh, and I thought, well, this guy, this guy, God, I've got this guy, this, this 18 years old, he's, you know, Anyway, how how wrong was I? My God, I think uh, in the final, in during play, I think in the quarterfinal he had a hole in one. He had a hole in one in the in the sort of uh, uh, qualifying rounds, which was uh, stroke play before we got into the match play section. He holed his second shot at the eleventh against me with an eight iron from one fifty odd yards. He he holed everything. His bunker play was just ridiculous, and I thought, oh, hang on, who the hell is this guy? You know. And I lost, it was the 36-hole finals, and I lost five and four. And we still, you know, we, we still have this bond between us, uh, uh, the two of us. Every time we meet, 1984, you know, you're talking, you're talking down there 40 years ago now. And, uh, and, uh, and here we are playing together on the Champions Tour here, the PJ Tour Champions, and, and, and still enjoying our golf and trying to learn and trying to get better. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? And, uh, as you say, you know, to be both of us in the Hall of Fame, uh, yeah, there's a there's a there's a definite friendship that will remain forever and a bond between us that uh, will remain. Uh, yeah, I mean, we we both knew the winner of the British Amateur gets an invite to the Masters, an invite to the Open Championships, so it was a big a big deal 
And uh, Formby was a fantastic links course up there by Royal Liverpool, very close to where the Open's been played this year. And uh, yeah, he beat me and he beat me well and he deserved to do. I mean, I played okay, but he played an awful lot better. And uh, good luck to him. And he's a and he's a super guy. He really is a great guy and uh, a great competitor still. As you said, you guys are, are still playing together to this day, a couple of Hall of Famers, and I think you've gotten him a time or two on the, the PGA Tour champions now as well. This episode of the Lynx Golf Podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Tourism Ireland. Discover what fills your heart with Ireland and experience golf like never before. World-class courses, historic links, breathtaking scenery, and unmatched hospitality await. Visit ireland.com backslash golf and start planning your trip today. As you said, you're driving to, to Birmingham, Alabama, to Greystone Golf and Country Club yes. for the region's That's tradition. Right. Uh, first major of the year. Back-to-back majors on the schedule, actual, is kind of interesting. And uh, But mm. as you get ready for this major, your your form is good. You're coming off back-to-back top 10 finishes, the top three a couple weeks ago in the Insperity Invitational, and then last week, T10 at the Mitsubishi Electric Classic. How is your form right now? What's good about your game? How do you feel going into this major? Yeah, well, good. You know, uh, uh, again, your way up to your weight of knowledge is is incredible. You know more about me than I do. Which is, well, I'm, which is I'm sitting at a computer uh, screen yeah. and just reading. <laughs> it, so it's not that impressive. Good for you. Fantastic. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, you know, very tough tour this. It's a very tough tour, and anyone thinks otherwise is uh, mistaken. I can assure you, uh, it is it is a, a a very very tough tour, and if you're not scoring 68 on a regular basis, you can forget it. You know, and these courses we play, like the Mitsubishi Classic last last week, there, you know, 7,100 yards long. Uh, it was the course we used for the AT&T Bell South uh, before the Masters, wasn't it? The Bell South, I think it, it was called. Before the Masters, I mean, I mean, it's the same golf course, the same tees that we used on the PGA Tour. So, people that think these courses are 6,500 yards long are mistaken. These are these are proper courses, and we're having guys out there, Harrington now with 180 miles an hour ball speed. Uh, <clears throat> we've got some great new players coming through. Stuart Sink is going to join us, I think, next month. Uh, you know, when you talk, think about L's and and Langer and Stricker and Couples and 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 Singh and these guys still still playing uh, very very well at the top of the game. Uh, it, you know you've got the South Africans Els and Goosen and you've got Steve Alka who's who's really come come really through and playing extremely well. Uh, so to be in the top ten twice in a row at nearly sixty years old, uh, I'll take that you know, against the 50-year-olds because 50 to 60 is a big difference. So I'll take it and uh, I'm still learning. I'm still learning every round of golf I learn from. I, I, I you know, try and get the putter. It, it's the putting, isn't it? You know, you know yourselves in, in major championships or any golf. If you hole out, you're going to score. And that's, that's key. You've got to hold your six to eight footers on a regular basis because you know if you're not, you're losing out because someone is. You know, you're playing against Steve Stricker here who who can putt, believe me. And he's as good as anybody to this day. Uh, so it's hard work. But uh, at the same time, it's great competition. You're playing against the guys that uh, you used to play against. And uh, 
uh, it's all it's all fun and games. And then on Friday or a Thursday when the majors start, <clears throat> it's a game on. Believe me, you know, and we're all trying to beat each other, and it's great competition. I love it. Sure. It's been there at Greystone for a few years now. Looks like since 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, the next major after that, the KitchenAid Senior PGA Championship, is at a course that pretty much no one has seen at Fields Ranch, Fields Ranch East, a new Gill Hands course at, at PGA Frisco. Um, do you yeah. know anything about that course? I don't know if you've had well, the chance to preview it. Or... Yes, yes, excuse me. Yes, we, uh, we actually played one of our PGA Tour Championships at Las Colinas about a month ago, and I took the opportunity of going up to Frisco to have a look at the course to play 18 holes uh, with my caddy. It hasn't officially opened as yet, believe it or not. We are the guinea pigs for this major, and uh, the PGA have grand ideas. I think they've got the ladies there in 2025, their PGA. We've got, I think mm-hmm. it's assigned already for the PGA Championship in, is it 29 or 30 or something? And then, of course, there's the, there's the opportunity of having Ryder Cups there as well because it's the PGA headquarters now uh yes a very grand scale i think i think you have to that's what you have to say about it it's it's on a grand scale it's huge everything's massive about it. i think it can be stretched to nearly eight thousand yards i do hope that we're not playing that length uh when we get there uh but yes it's one of these modern grand scale courses uh the fairways are quite wide because of the wind in that North Dallas area, uh, and and the greens are quite large and slopy, uh, and yes, I mean a very very good solid golf course, uh, a very fair golf course. If you hit the shots, you'll get rewarded, and vice versa. Uh, so, yeah, we look forward to to being the guinea pigs on this particular course and seeing what and seeing what it's about. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, the condition of it's fantastic because no one's played the course. There's not a divot on the place. Uh, so it'll be, it'll be super to see how it pans out. Yeah, we're looking forward to playing four rounds around there. Yeah. Well, Colin, speaking of modern course design, um, you know, you've had your hand in a number of modern mm-hmm. course designs yourself. Uh, yeah. And, and as a matter of fact, um, by my count, at least designs credited to you in eight countries uh, which is which is pretty strong um and again i mean from ireland scotland vietnam the netherlands korea dubai turkey and uh, one i played in wales uh at celtic manor not the Ryder cup but a fun one nonetheless what's been what's been your most satisfying experience from the design side I think, as I said about the Tom Weisskopf course in Loch Lomond, you know, to leave, to leave a legacy, you know, to actually design something that people get enjoyment from, you know, they, they're uh, having their leisure time and they want to enjoy themselves, but have a challenge at the same time. And I think that uh, to leave a legacy for, for someone, I mean, there's someone in Turkey, what, they're, uh, they're about, uh, what, eight hours ahead of us right now. So, Someone will be playing somewhere in Turkey on the golf course right now and, uh, and uh, hopefully enjoying themselves, you know, around the Montgomery Max Roll course on the south coast of Turkey, though, on the Mediterranean coast, or, or someone in Vietnam. They might be asleep right now, but they're waking up looking forward to playing the Montgomery Lynx in Vietnam, you know, amazing, or even in Dubai. 
you know, the Montgomery Golf Club in Dubai. So it's amazing to ha- have had that opportunity to leave a legacy and 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 uh, and uh, to leave a challenge for someone to play. You know, uh, first thing, obviously, you know, I think about is where the water's coming from from the course. That's number one, and also then. You know, I'm into bunkering. I love, I love bunkering. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that St. Andrew's bunkering's perfect because it's very, very deep for the average guy to get out of. But I do enjoy the Australian bunkering, whereby the likes of the Kingston Heaths and Royal Melbournes of this world, uh, that the bunkers come up to the green uh, and not leave a triplex mower width between the bunker and the green. Uh, I do like that, and that's uh, and that's part of my design. That I do uh, enjoy those those great courses of Australia down that sand belt round Melbourne that uh, have the best bunkering in the world. And for those who haven't had an opportunity of going down to Australia, you should try and take that because it is it is fantastic. Yeah, uh, those are some fantastic golf courses, and the bunkering is so striking there. Um, it's it great. Great, finally, to uh, certainly for for us in America to have had the chance finally to see those courses on television, and uh, I've been lucky enough to play them. And you just come away with this idea that this is something amazing after all the yeah. bunkers you've seen and so forth. So, it, you know, obviously you have technical help from people who understand civil engineering mm-hmm. and drainage and the rest, but you know, clearly yeah. you you've got some good ideas in mind about what you like and so forth. What, what um, architects, what courses influenced you most as you were thinking about design, as you were beginning to enter this aspect of your life? Yeah, yeah, very interesting, you know. Uh, I, you tend to design according to how you play as a player. And what I'm saying now is I enjoy the Jack Nicholas courses he he hit uh, he hit a very high fade, and so do I. And it's amazing how between uh, be- between myself and him, there's a lot of sort of par threes that go from front left to back right, a la a la a bit like uh, the the twelfth hole at Augusta, whereby that's the sort of green I'm talking about. So the front right is shorter, the back right. Uh, Sorry, the front left is shorter, the back right is longer. And, and a lot of his holes, you can see his view that, that uh, he tends to play or design the way that he played. And I tend to do the same. Obviously, every hole can't, can't go left to right. You'd never go back to the clubhouse, you know. But, but uh, uh, more, more left to right particular shots than, I've, than I would that I would have normally. Amazing. Yeah. Some of my holes, you think, Oh God, Monty's designed this because it goes a little bit left to right. And you can see, you can see this sort of copy, if you like. And it's, and it's the, and it's the, uh, it's a compliment to Jack Nicholas that, 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 that I would, I would so-called copy, copy his design, but yes, why not? You know, and uh, he's got some great courses around the world and I would do that myself. So, that's number one, I suppose. And number two, I try and make, I try and make it a challenge for the 18 handicap golfer because we all were there at one stage. We were all 18 handicaps at one stage, whether we got lower or, 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 or we remain that way. So I try and make it a challenge 
for that particular standard of golf and also make it a challenge off the back tees for the, uh, for the so-called elite player. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's just a matter of getting it, getting it right, not, not having it too challenging that people won't come back to it. Uh, you want the repeat business and also you want it to be okay so that people, people do come back and want to have that challenge again. So that's the philosophy, really. And Colin, I feel that is the toughest thing to bring off as a course designer is how you make it fun for the 15 or 18 handicapper and bring them back, but still stimulate a really good player, you know, to want to mm -hmm. come back and, and so forth. When you bump it up a level and you are, you have the best in the world at a golf tournament, whether it's a major championship or something close to it. What is, what is the best way in your view to set up a golf course or a golf course in general to test the best where it really is a complete uh, aspects of shot making of putting of putting the drives in play? What, what do you, what is a, what do you have to do and what golf courses best represent that standard to you? Yeah, very good. You know, you think about suddenly you think about the Pinehurst number two, whereby to give options for players, uh, not just in in the traditional U.S. Open courses of the 90s where you missed a green. It was an obvious L wedge that you had to chop out this thick, thick rough. You know, I think it's good that nowadays we're given more options around the greens. And I think that all designers are feeling that way that and I'm going back to Pinus number two, where the runoffs, you know, and you've got three choices, really. You've got the L wedge. You can throw it onto the green. That's fine. If, if, a lie, if a lie is fine that way. Or you can run it with an eight iron or a six iron up the bank or even the hybrid club that people are using nowadays, the sort of 20 degree five wood, really. Or you can putt it. And it gives you an eye. It gives you a huge option of... of uh, of shot making. I think, I think that's important nowadays, as opposed to just the, the one particular hack out of thick, thick rough. So I think that's important. And it's not just, not just around the greens, but off the teeing areas as well. You go down, down certain places. I, th I think runoffs are making golf uh, better. I know the amateur player might think, Oh God, that's a bit unfair, but it now gives him a challenge. You know, it gives us all a challenge, you know, from John Rahm downwards, it gives us all, a challenge of what club do we play? And uh, I think that's important uh, to give options available to the amateur player as opposed to just the one shot. You know, there was another fellow that gave me that same answer, <clears throat> Pinehurst number two. And I believe mm -hmm. you, you, I believe you've played with him in the past, Tiger Woods. <clears throat> <laughs> he, yeah. he loved that it would challenge you folks uh, as well as allow the regular guy to get around and, mm -hmm. and not only have a chance, but not lose a ball during the round. Oh, totally. You know, Pinus number two, I don't think there's much water, if any, around that particular course. It's one of these old world courses. And those listeners who might not have played there, we call it these upturned saucer greens where, you know, a good shot, a good high iron shot will stop on the green. Uh, but if it doesn't, it's going to roll off either either end you know north south east west of the green and uh, and then you've got a challenge to get the ball up and down and i think it's marvelous and that's the one course that springs to mind in that type of vein 
Augusta's doing it as well now, uh, uh, more so. They've, they've, they've sort of cut back the sort of first cut. We're not, we're not allowed to call it rough at Augusta, are we? It's the first cut, you know? <laughs> uh, so there's more rolling, a bit like the, in front of the 14th green at Augusta there, you know, if you don't get on top, well, you've now got a nasty shot and you see, you see the players thinking, am I going to run this up? Am I going to throw it up? Am I going to putt it? from that front of that 14th green, that type of thing, you know, or if the pin is right on 16 and, and they happen to go right in that little valley there on the right of 16, a nasty, a nasty position to be in, you know, yeah. Uh, um, I know Augusta's evolving over the years as it does, but it's, it's, it's so interesting, isn't it? To give options for players to play those type of different shots. And I love it. Yeah. Monty, you've been so generous with your time today. I've, I've got one more for you, and then I've got a couple of rapid-fire uh, course-specific questions for you at the very end. But um, okay. what do you do away from, from golf? What are your hobbies off the golf course? Well, my goodness. Uh, <clears throat> by the time I get home uh, back to Sunningdale in England, <coughs> excuse me, uh, you know, I've got three children. And uh, two grandchildren right now, uh, six and four they are, Isla and India, and uh, two, two granddaughters. So a lot of time is spent just seeing, seeing family and friends when I get home, you know. Uh, we would love a couple of those Labradors that we'd walk around uh, Sunningdale, but of course, being away from home so much, it's uh, impossible to have dogs at home. But when I retire, that'll be what I'll be doing. I think I'll be walking the dogs around certain golf courses and and watching amateur players uh, uh, try and uh, try and get the ball in the hole, a la Seve, you know. So that's what I that's what I like to do at home, and uh, and just be at home, really. You know, people say, "Where do you go for a holiday?" And I go, "Crumbs, stay in my own, stay in my own home, really." You know, and I do like the Premier League. I do like the Premier League soccer. You know, uh, we call it football. You call it as a soccer. I'm a I'm a big Leeds United fan who are doing particularly badly this year. So uh, we've got to try and not get, not get relegated. I think uh, the writing is on the wall, I'm afraid. Uh, but it, again, you know, it's a passion of mine. And uh, we look forward to Saturday morning uh, on, on NBC Sports or whatever it might be here that uh, show the Premier League soccer. I love this. And, and uh, uh, so, yeah, there's a number of things going on. You know, it's a busy, busy life. Yeah. Sure. I, I love the idea that uh, vacation is just kind of sitting at home and not, not doing much, just enjoying your time being there. So I can definitely, well, uh, yeah, I can sympathize with that. I've been in, yes, I've been in enough airplanes and airports in my life. Believe me, you know, I've 35 years at this as a pro. So, yeah, I've had enough, uh, enough airports and, uh, and uh, so-called lounges and higher car places. You know how it is travel nowadays. So. Any time that I can just spend spend a week at home, I'm delighted. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I did I did notice one thing. So you're when you look up Colin Montgomery and there's your name, Colin Stuart Montgomery, and you have OBE. You have the Order of the British Empire at the end there. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that that process? Are, are there any great perks that you get from being an, an order of the British empire? I have no idea what, uh, what it was involved there. I wouldn't say there's, I wouldn't say there's any perks as such. It's just nice when it's, when it's, uh, uh, when I get, uh, a Christmas card because I happen to be on, 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 
uh, a board, uh, an ambassador for Maggie's uh, centers, which, of course, Queen Camilla is our patron of. And uh, I'm on a board with five others that uh, that raise money for Maggie's centers. And we've we've done well in getting these uh, centers up the hospices for cancer patients that uh, need uh, professional and emotional and practical support, really. Uh, so it's nice when the Christmas card comes in from uh, our now new King Charles and uh, Queen Camilla. And it says Colin Stuart Montgomery OBE. I like that. Uh, I was an MBE, which is a member of the British Empire, and then I was sort of upgraded uh, to OBE. So I went from coach to to uh, to business class, and I haven't haven't reached first class yet. Uh, that's a knighthood. So so uh, so I don't think we'll reach there. But I'm very I'm very honoured to be uh, uh, to be an OBE officially, but it's never really used much at all. It's just uh, an honour that uh, British society and uh, our royal family. Uh, give you and and uh, it's a real honour to go to Buckingham Palace and be received by, well, the first time our late Queen and of course uh, the second time it was Prince Charles now King Charles. So it's a great uh, it's a great honour and something that I really treasure. Yeah, very good. We'll be rooting for your knighthood uh, before four <laughs> times too far gone. So Thank all right. You. <laughs> so quickly, uh, we'll you don't have to elaborate too much, but we. We do a thing with with some guests called My Courses, where we, it's just a rapid fire set of questions, and and you name a golf course that fits the description. So, uh, you gave us our your favorite course. Uh, what is the first course that you ever played golf on? Uh, okay, uh, Trun Trun uh, Municipal Course, because I was uh, how I was born there, six years old. I played at Trun Municipal Course with my mom and my dad. Yeah, yeah. How about the course that produced the sweetest memory for you? Sweetest memory course must be Wentworth, really, next door to Sunnydale, where I won three PGA championships in a row. So I suppose that would be the sweetest course to me. The hardest course you've ever played? I think that's easy. That's Oakmont, 19, <laughs> 1994 US Open. I think that's the, uh, that would be the hardest course I've ever played, Oakmont in US Open conditions. All right. And then the number one course on your bucket list that you have not yet played. Well, that's easy. Cypress Point. I want to play Cypress Point and I haven't done it. So that's uh, that's an easy one. Boy, that's an admirable one to reach for. Uh, that is <laughs> we, we talk about special walks um, and, uh, and with your eyes open too. yeah, you will probably love it uh, as most do when you get out there. So, um, yeah, yeah uh, Al, just a quick um, personal note. My uh, sister, Lori Cavanaugh, who worked for the Tucson Conquistadors for a number of oh. years, a uh, special birthday uh, coming up this week, a big one. And um, she sent me a photo um, yesterday when I told her what we would be doing today of a smiling Colin Montgomery in the snow. Uh, down in Tucson <laughs> when uh, I guess you guys had some weather uh, down there, but at least you had a smile on your face. We did indeed. Yes, we arrived from from uh, from London, thinking, okay, we're in the we're in the West Coast now, and we'll go Tucson, Newport Beach, and then we went uh, to Palm Springs, and we ended up with a good three inches of snow and Tucson on pro am morning. We couldn't believe it. And I and I wasn't ready. I, I didn't have my 
my winter gloves and my hand warmers ready. I tell you what, I needed foot warmers as well. It was blooming cold, crazy weather. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank goodness the, the tournament continued. Uh, it warmed up, but that was that was a freak uh, snowstorm. Yeah, amazing. Definitely. Well, very good. Thank you so much again for your time. Best of luck this week at the Regents Tradition and moving forward. And um, I'll have to go find myself a bottle of the Loch Lomond whiskey here to, to toast this, this great conversation. Thank you so much. Well, I'll send some over to you, lads. You don't have to buy anything. Thank you so much for your time, and it's an honor to be on your show. Thank you very much.